We're picking up in four, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, um, verse 26. So if you're heavy Bible, you're looking for that this morning. If you find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then you'll have Acts, Romans, and 1 Corinthians. And um, <clears throat> just to give a, another segment here, as there's these different parts of the chapter, um, you know, he, he has to correct some abuses that were going on as the church, you know, met together. Um, he has to really emphasize that there's unity, but there's diversity within that unity as we're not all the same and we have different, you know, spiritual gifts. He emphasizes love as, you know, something that should really hold the whole church together and should be the attitude and atmosphere of the church is this overarching um, expression of love for God and for one another. Um, and if we don't want love one another, then there's something missing in our love for God, certainly. Um, you can't have a love for God and not have love for one another. It's going to overflow into a love for one another. Uh, and so that's chapter 13, which often isn't used in context of the church, but is specifically in that context as, as we have it here in the scripture. And then he gets into prophecy and tongues, which he st- talked about last week. But we, what we need to remember, and our main takeaway from that is you know, Paul really wants people to seek things that edify or that build up the whole church. And so we want to keep that in mind as we continue in here. Uh, so let's just read 26 through 40. You'll see it's got some tough stuff from it, and then we'll work our way back through it. He says, How is it, brethren, <clears throat> whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a re- revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that you may all learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. And therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Okay. Again, some tough stuff there. That's cool. We're going to tackle it. It's all going to be fine. Uh, so when we get into verse 26, we'll go back to that. He says, you know, what is the outcome then, brethren? Just so you know, I read that from the New King James. I'm going to teach it, though, through the NASB, so you kind of get you know, both um, versions there. But he says, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So this answers you know, a lot of the question of why do we have an, an open time in our meeting when we come together on Sundays? Why do we have a time where anyone can request song or pray or you know, read scripture or testify of God's goodness? Well, we do that because that's what we see that was instructed for the early church. That's why we, that's why we do that. Um, it's not something that you know, we came up with. We're not that smart. So you know, we didn't come up with it. We just see it was, how it was done in the scripture and we, we follow that. 
Um, Colossians 3, 16 and 17, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and with thankfulness and your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, to him, uh, to God the Father, through him to God the Father. So we have this practice here that it's, it's expected that people who are part of the church are going to participate in the life of the church and in the worship of the church. And, you know, this idea, you know, we kind of have this, this modern version of church where everybody comes together, a few people lead, you know, the music, and one person preaches, you have a couple announcements, and it's, it's over, it's done. And everybody else is, yes, participating, but it's much more of a passive, you know, participation. I think part of that is because it's kind of scared to death of what people might say. And so it's easier if we can control all that and have a very professional presentation of everything. And then, and we can also keep it, you know, in a very short time frame and then move forward. But, you know, for people, I, I just think of, of even like the first followers of Jesus and coming to know Jesus and believing in him and, and worshiping in him. You know, I don't think when they got together, they, their, their focus was so much on the clock of, man, when can I get out of here and get to the rest of the things in my life that are more important than this? This was what was most important. And, you know, many of these people are risking life and limb to be followers of Jesus. And so we, you know, in our culture can, can kind of come up in such a, a flippant attitude about, you know, and it even it gets so changed and so twisted to everybody talking about, Hey, are you going to church? Did you go to church this week? You know, even in that, we betray what we really think about this as it's some, you know, institution or some just, you know, meeting that you go to as opposed to something that you are a part of and that you are part of the body of Christ. And that's really what it means, you know, that you are part of the body and you have function and role within it and you have responsibility um, towards it, as it has responsibility towards you, but it's a two-way street, and so that you're going to desire to actively participate in it, not be a passive consumer of goods. And so we've switched from an active, self-sacrificing participation to a selfish consumption of goods and services. And be, so then people come with this attitude of, you know, what did I get out of the church meeting? What did I get? You know, is, is the church meeting my needs? Is the church, is a, you know, is the church feeding me, you know, enough in such a way that I'm, I'm getting, you know, what I want out of this and what I think I deserve out of this? Because I deserve to grow. And usually that just means I deserve to have a lot more information in my head. But think about the difference of attitude if we all came with, man, what do I get to give to the rest of the body? Not to an institution, but to my brothers and sisters in Christ. What do I get to give and to share with them that's led by the Spirit of God and has the truth of the Scripture you know, at its heart? What do I get to share in my attitude, in my words, in my actions, in my displayed love for God and for one another. And think about the shift that that would be. Well, we can, you know, we're trying to be part of that shift. 
That's one of the reasons we exist and why we think it's valuable for us to exist. Okay, this is the practical application of the priesthood of all believers. This is the practical application of that. A lot of groups have it in theory. Yes, we can all pray, we can all talk to God, but we try to actually practice it. Our church, we try to practice it. It's not the easiest thing to do, but it's good for us. But just think about 1 Peter 2, 4, and 10. He says, And coming to him, that's Jesus, as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed or will not be put to shame. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which, has, which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you understand that we are people who, we just fully deserve the wrath of God. We're sinful, you know, we were sinful we were rebellious against God, and yet God in his love for us provided salvation for us that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we become you know, this royal priesthood. We become people who can now offer sacrifice to God you know, through our praise, the praise of our hearts. We have that privilege. We have that and that opportunity to do so. So we, we do this, we do what we do because... You know, it's what the Word instructs us, but it's also what we're privileged to do. It's what we're privileged to do. And that's a, a tremendous blessing. So then he goes into some more, starting verse 27, he gives more instructions, because there needs to be some order to this meeting. If you're going to be, you know, as the Spirit leads, and you know, all these different people can participate in it, you, know, you, you could have a situation with mass, ma, you know, mass chaos. You could have people... You know, standing up and talking over each other and shouting each other down. No, it's my turn. No, it's not your turn. You know, so there has to be some, some sort of orderliness to this. Because the Spirit of, of God is supposed to conduct this, not, you know, like an individual person. And so he says, if anyone speaks a tongue, again, last week we went all into, you know, what is, what is prophecy in this context? What does it mean for us? You know, today, what are tongues and how are they used and all that sort of stuff. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to it, um, you know, through the podcast. Encourage you to do that. So, but he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or three at the most and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent and let him speak to himself and to God. And he had earlier talked about how if someone talks in a language, you know, nobody else in the room is understanding, that person is edifying themselves, but the whole body's not edified. And, you know, there needs, you know, the whole purpose is for edification. And so if it doesn't edify, it's better to keep silent and just talk to God on your own is what he gets at. He says he must keep silent in church and let him, him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let others 
pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one. So again, he's, you know, he said earlier that to prophesy was better than to speak you know, in tongues because of you know, really the understanding and the ease of understanding because you're using the most common language that's available in the room. You know, in our case, in their case, Greek, in our case, English. Okay? And so you're using that so that everybody can have understanding. Um, and then he says, you can all prophesy one by one because he said prophecy was a better gift. So everybody should strive for that. Not everyone should strive for some of these other gifts. Um, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted, or all may be encouraged, you know, encouraged with oomph, with emphasis. If you share something, it should be because you're burdened by the Spirit of God to do so. You know, whatever it is, even, you know, even in a song selection of what song we're going to be saying, I hope it's more than just, you know, I really like number 44. I have no idea what song that is, by the way. But I really like number 44. It's my favorite song, so let's sing number 44. Hopefully it goes deeper than that to sensing, you know, what would be, you know, adding to the, to the worship and would be encouraging for the whole, not just my favorite song, but something that's going to, in this context and how the Spirit is leading in this particular meeting, edify, encourage the whole body. So it helps us to go deeper into how we think about, about these things. It says, the Spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So, you know, some people, you know, in certain meetings are just, you know, if there's a lot of chaos and people say, well, we just, you know, we got carried away in the spirit and there was, there was nothing we could do about it. You know, we weren't in control. It was all God. Well, here Paul says, no, that's not the case. You are in control. And so you can sense and know what is appropriate and what, what timing is appropriate and when to wait your turn and when to be silent and when to speak or when to pray. When to prophesy, when to, um, when to sing, when to do these different things. They, you, they, you are, you are in control. Uh, you are not just, you know, carried away beyond um, your own senses and your own ability to reason. For God, verse thirty-three. For God is not a, a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Okay, so he says, you know, again, there's a couple different times in here where he says, you know, what I'm telling you isn't just for you, it's for all the churches. And that's also instructive, you know, for us today. Um, it's not just for the church at Corinth. The same thing's supposed to be true in the church at Ephesus or the church at Philippi or church at Coloss. In all these places, it's supposed to be the same. So, you know, even today, we say the same thing. It's supposed to be the same in, in Athens and you know, in Rio Blanco, Mexico, or in Tanzania, or wherever else the people of God are. So when we come together again, just as a reminder, we come together for, th- for th- really two to three purposes, okay, as I say that. The first purpose is, you know, we come to worship God. We do that as we remember Jesus, as we take the bread and the cup, as we remember what he's done for us, we testify of his, of his death, of his resurrection, of his coming again, you know, that Jesus is the center of it, right? So that's, that's primary purpose. That's why the church began to meet, you know, the, the first followers of Jesus were Jewish, who their whole lives got together on the Sabbath, Saturday, to worship God. And then they shifted to the first day of the week, Sunday. Why? 
because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead, and that's the day they came to, you know, together to remember the Lord. There's a huge shift there. Huge shift. Um, and it showed even that the law had been fulfilled, you know, in the Old, in the Old Testament. Because, again, part of the law was to keep the Sabbath, right? And that was a specific day, and that day was Saturday. And so there's this big shift that takes place for them, uh, for these first Jewish followers, and then those who were, you know, not Jewish followed in with that because, hey, it makes sense because that's, again, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the day we're going to get together. Again, that wasn't a normal religious day. Um, and that's actually why they had, you know, I mean, maybe for a couple different reasons, but the Lord's Supper was at night, you know, in the evening because it was a normal work day. People were coming together after work, really, and, and that was part of the problems that some were coming having eaten and others having and not sharing the food and all sorts of craziness. But uh, that we saw back earlier, um, but that's you know something to keep in keep in mind. Uh, that's different than in our context and in our culture today. Of course, you know today uh, it used to be in our in our country and you know things that Sunday was a you know a day that was set aside uh, for rest and worship. And people even that didn't participate at all, you know, in church, they still didn't do you know necessarily much work in in most you know industries and businesses. Today it's, in our culture, it is just kind of like any other day. Um, and, and in some ways, that's, that's difficult. You know, I know there's people who want to be here this morning, but their work has called them in. You know, and that's not the easiest you know, thing. And we need to especially pray for those who are in situations you know, like that that don't get to, to participate as much as they would want to. Um, so there's a whole other discussion about that, certainly, that we could get into, but we won't right now. So to worship Jesus, the second thing, again, to build up the body, that exhortation, that encouragement. To be, you know, to build and be built up, and and how do we do that? I mean, again, we go back to number one: we worship God together, and that helps build us up. Um, we preach the gospel to one another, you know, reminding us of the great salvation of God. In that, the kind of the third thing comes that those who don't yet know Jesus, if they're part of, come and 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 sit in, you know, on the meetings and say, "Hey, what's all this about?" Um, that they're going to hear the message of hope in Jesus. That though we were lost and you know we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God, you know, saved us through His glorious grace and sending Jesus Christ for us. Okay, so um, you know we're going to share the message of Jesus in that, but I want us to be very clear because that's not a substitute for us sharing our faith outside of these walls and outside of this time. You know, again, in in many churches, it's kind of a a come, you know, come and see, and we'll get people to come here and, you know, that don't know Jesus, and then they can come to know Jesus. And there's not just something, you know, wrong with that, as long as we're actually still feeding the body and helping the church, you know, to grow. But I'm afraid that in many cases that's become a substitute for people actually sharing their faith outside of the Sunday morning meeting. But, you know, the responsibility needs to come back on us as the church that, you know, when we leave here and the church exits its assembling together and goes out into the world, that we are taking the message of Jesus Christ with us and how we live and how we treat others and our attitudes, that we're people who are full of God's love and that just flows out to the people around us and that, man, we've been reminded of how good Jesus is when we come together that when we leave here, we couldn't help but tell somebody else how good Jesus is. Like, it should overflow from us, and it should overflow out of our meetings of the goodness of God 
in our hearts. I mean, that's so good, I can't contain it. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I have a really, really good meal somewhere, I'm going to tell somebody. If I saw a really, really good football game, I'm going to tell somebody. If I read a really, really good book, I'm going to tell somebody. But yet, so often, we can go, yeah, I had my Jesus time. That was cool now. And, and not share that with other people? You know, it, it betrays a, a sense of unreality. That you can come to, to, to something and you know, have a little bit of an emotional experience or whatever. Or feel good about that. But what's the reality and the deepness of our hearts? Are we truly passionate about who Jesus is and his message and his love so that we, it has to overflow out of us to other people. But, you know, this also informs us, in, again, in what to share, assuming our motives are pure. Again, motive is a huge thing, so we want to check that with the Lord. But if you want to share, if it remembers Jesus and honors Jesus, it's usually safe. If it builds up the whole body, if it's to encourage the whole body, it's usually safe. Okay? If it doesn't do either of those two things, if it's more for yourself, you could probably just have that between you and Jesus, and it's cool. Or it's for another context. And it can be for another context. Uh, so, because we have more context. You know, we have our house fellowships, we get together, and, you know, we share um, lots of different things. So, you know, and we have our friends, <laughs> right, too, that we can sit and have private conversations with and, and things like that. So, it's, it's got a context. Um, now that when I say it, it builds up the whole body. Sometimes it's correction, sometimes it's encouragement. It be different. It's going to be different things at different times because the church isn't static; it's dynamic. And what's happening um, in the life of the church and the influences in our our culture are different at different times, and so we need to hear, you know, different things. And sometimes we just need to counteract, you know, bad ideas in our world. You know, we we even see the news. We've all you know probably been in front of our TVs some you know this week. Um, or in some way finding out the news about what's, you know, been happening in, you know, Paris. And, you know, how do we react to that? How do we, you know, how do we treat people who, um, who are Muslims and things like that? And, and there can be, you know, ways to do that that are given in the, in the media or in different or in other formats or from people who are around socially. But those ideas might conflict with what, the, what Jesus would want us to do. So I mean, sometimes we need an encouragement of, of, hey, this, is, this is, should be our perspective. Um, and, and so sometimes we have to address the issues of our day and the things that are going on um, so that we handle those things rightly in the way of Jesus so that we maintain our testimony before the Lord and we don't think, do things that are harmful. Okay, moving from that, now I'm going to get into this. Woo, because we're just going to finish this today. I'm just going to tell you this right now. We're going to finish this. We're going to get through it and be done with it. No. Verse 34 and 35, here we go. Let's get it started. Um. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, that, that sounds really intense and tough, right? I mean, let's just make no bones about it. That's just, I mean, that's, again, that's, again I'm, I'm just reading you what the Bible says. Let me just <laughs> clarify that to begin with. So, um, now, if you remember from a few weeks ago, a number of weeks ago, because actually this was back in 2014, we had the holidays, we had all that stuff. And when we were back in chapter 11, I spent a lot of time making the case of women in ministry using the historical record 
um, Old Testament and New Testament, women participating publicly in worship. And in chapter 11, Paul talks about you know, women praying and prophesying. And he makes it very clear that that's what they do. Okay? Um, so now when we get to chapter 14, um, I don't think that the Apostle Paul got amnesia, or the Apostle Paul or the Holy Spirit got amnesia or forgot what was written earlier about this public participation. So then that does bring the question, well, what does this mean? Because, you know, as we just read it in plain English, it seems, you know, pretty cut and, and dry. And people take this and make an argument for, like, 100% silence, only men at all speak or say anything in the church, period. And many groups do that and have done that historically based on these verses here in 1 Corinthians 14. So there's, there's others that argue um, differently about that, and they make a, there's a couple of different arguments that we're going to use, and I'll, we'll talk about those and about how valid or not valid um, that they are. So some would argue that what Paul is talking about here is chattering. The, the word that's used for you know, talking about speak or speaking, it can mean a lot of different things based on the context. You know? So they talk about, well, he's talking about you know, the women are, are, are being chatterboxes, and having their own like conversations and maybe gossiping and stuff like in the back, and Paul saying not to do that, shouldn't do that. Here's a couple problems with that. Here's the biggest problem that I see with that is I've been around a lot of men and a lot of women in my life, and if women are more chatterboxes by men, it's like if it's a race, it's like a photo finish. Because if you've ever been around a group of guys, guys talk, and if you've ever been a group of guys like even at a work environment, so what do you think about what the boss is doing? What do they? I mean. You talk about chatterboxing. Guys can do that with 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 the, the the most you know whatever women can do it too, okay. So I, I I really just based on human nature don't think it's that. Don't think that that's what he's getting at. Um, and I, I think that he would say it in a different way than he says it, and the argument that that he uses um, would be different if that was the case. Now. Others argue that this is like a, a temporary thing in the context of the first century A.D. Um, because, you know, women were uneducated. Well, I want to be careful that we don't overstate the ignorance of women in the, in the ancient world. I think it's often overstated. Now, as I talked about in 1 Corinthians 11... There is this idea of many men, you know, with a machismo, kind of men are better than women sort of attitude. And there's certain, you know, educational, religious educational things that the men had access to, like in Jewish culture, that women didn't necessarily have, you know, access to. But, to, you know, it comes across as if, like, women were completely illiterate, like they couldn't, you know, read or understand or this and that. And I really think that that perspective is demeaning toward historical women, like to the women of the past. I think that demeans what they knew, what they were capable of, um, what, you know, just even, it's demeaning to all the women that we've already talked about in the scripture who were vital to the, to the health and growth of the church. It, it, I think it actually demeans them. It's, it's like this well-intended sort of thing. It's like, well, women were really ignorant then, but they're not now. And they, were, you know, they weren't capable then, but they are now, as if they've evolved or something like that. It's like this evolutionary sort of thing. And it's like, no. 
there were, and we've, you know, I gave the evidence before, and you can go back and listen to that message, but there are a lot of stinking smart women um, who were literate in these days. In addition, there had also been lots of men who weren't educated. You know, if you were talking about, like, higher-level education. So, you know, you think the injunction then would be, like, well, only the highly educated could talk, but, you know, not the uneducated. But that's against the way of Jesus, too. I mean, think about who he took into the ministry. Um, they, you know, some of them had, you know, professional jobs, but... And some guys, I mean, and you have to be smart to be a fisherman, but you don't have to necessarily, you know, be book learned to do that, right? And so, you know, he took average people from lots of, you know, from different places, from different contexts, different levels of education. Um, and I don't think that he has any intention that, you know, those who are, you know, who have PhDs would talk and everybody else would be silent. Unfortunately, that's kind of what it's gotten to in the church today is that, you know, unless you have this particular degree, and I mean, there are lots of denominations where, if you, if, I mean, if you don't have at minimum, like an MDiv, then you can't say nothing. I like that for an educated statement right after I say that. <laughs> can't say nothing, okay? You understand, what I'm, you understand what I'm getting at? And so that, that sort of thing is really, I think, contrary. There's another key element here. Remember that Paul had spent almost two years in Corinth, that this letter is written after that. He spent almost two years there. Now, if they, anybody was ignorant before he got there, they certainly weren't ignorant after he left. And there were others who came in and also who had been teaching the word in this time. Time has gone by. There's been plenty of really good teaching in the church at this point. The issue, the reason that Paul has to write 1 Corinthians in the first place isn't because the people were ignorant to information. And he makes that clear even earlier. It's not that they're ignorant to information. It's that they're lacking in obedience. And their lack of obedience is causing these various problems within the church. So that's not it either. So what do we do here then? What does it mean? You know, there's a clue here which, where he says, the law also says... Now, again, remember that the law did not forbid women from participating vocally in worship. And again, that's another thing that we had addressed, addressed prior. So it didn't, it didn't forbid that. Um, if we look to 1 Timothy 2, we have, you know, I think a, a helpful answer, and you know, some people would um, try to have a way to get around that aspect too. I don't really think that the, the same, with the same arguments, but I don't think they work there either. But let a woman learn... In silence with all submission, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And so I think what he's really getting at there um, has to do more with God has this way that he's you know, created us and that he wants us to be. I mean, in, in our church, I mean, we generally take a complementarian view. We don't take a hierarchical view, which is, you know, men are higher than women. We don't take uh, an egalitarian view which means that we're equal in every same way and that we have all the same responsibilities or um, same function. Um, and I think nature even kind of tells us that because, you know, no baby is coming out of me, you know, that sort of thing. Like, we are different. If you try to make us not different, it kind of just goes against some pretty basic common sense there. Um, 
So it has to do this idea that, you know, the man is supposed to, and again, in a complementarian way, not in a hierarchical way, be the head of the household. And that's not a popular thought today. That goes contrary to our culture. You sound like, you know, some backwoods, whatever, um, whenever you say that. And I understand that's probably how I sound, you know, to some people. I have to live with that. You know, we all have to live with that. But I come to it and you go, what is being said here? Um, what do we do with this? Because we can't just be like, well, it's not there. It's not the scripture because it is. And we have to deal with it. Um, and we have to deal with it in a way that's fair, both historically, culturally, to the text, um, you know, and what the Spirit of God intends, intended to communicate. And that's what we strive for. It doesn't mean we always get you know, everything you know, right on 100% perfect. That's the goal. Uh, but we also aren't going to say, well, there's no target. And that's what kind of what it's gotten to today is, well, there's no target. Uh, you can just kind of take whatever you want and believe whatever you want. And whatever works for you is fine because uh, it's you, you know, and, and you make your own decisions, right? You know, that's kind of the, the, can be the attitude. Um, so Paul, I think, goes against that in his communication here. And that, you know, in the scripture, Again, there's that, there is that injunction even um, as we look at Ephesians 5, and we do use this at weddings where it talks about, you know, men, you know, love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, why is that? I mean, that's a really high standard. I mean, to love as Christ loved, and, you know, he was willing to die, to sacrifice himself. What are you, you know, willing to do? What are you willing to do in this situation? Um, so... You know, he, he, we have that heart poured out for us, you know, as men, but we can't, if we take that, you can't take that and then ignore the verses around it that talk about women submitting to their husbands. You can't, you can't say, well, I want the man to love his wife like Christ loved the church, but I don't want the woman to have to, you know, submit to that in any way. You know, you, you either have to, you either have to take both of them or neither of them. You know, it, you, you know, and, and so that kind of goes our tendency to want to say, well, I like this part, but I don't like that part. And uh, he comes, as his, you know, as he ends the arguments, he says, was it from you that the word of God first went forth? So he kind of puts the people in Corinth in their place a little bit. He's saying, you know, hey, was, is this Bible, you, you know, this, was the scripture the word of God? And they didn't have the whole complete canon at this point, but he's saying, you know, is the scripture the word of God? Is it did it, did it come from you? No, you, you didn't, you're not the one who got to decide these things. Or has it come to only you? No. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize the things that I write to you are the Lord's commandment. And this is where it gets tough because, you know, we, we, we want to. And there's a part of me, certainly. There is, let me just be real, real honest with you here. There is a part of me that wants to say, well, here are some optional things that are said. It's a whole lot more convenient for my life if these things are optional, really. It really is. It just makes my life so much easier. But that's not what it's about. And so he says these things are a commandment, you know, are the Lord's commandment. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues, but all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. You know, so that's, you know, really, really, um, really important there. Uh, there's also just, 
you know, there's a certain practicality. There's a certain practicality um, to, to this instruction. Because again, remember, as we've talked about before, we're not taking this as an instruction that women cannot pray or prophesy or take part publicly in the meeting. It has to do with this authoritative teaching aspect. And that, he's saying, you know, they shouldn't do. Um, and I want to give a, just a, a reason for that, um, because again, as people are, are standing up and saying these, you know, different things, as the, you know, the elders in the church are predominantly responsible for, like, not everything that's said, but for everything that's officially taught. And with that, sometimes comes a responsibility to correct. Okay, um, and so it's it's one thing for one of the elders to you know, correct one of the guys and say, hey, listen, you know, appreciate your heart, but you're really not looking at that the right way. It's another thing to correct that dude's wife. And you talk about problems in a group of people coming up real quick, you know, because that's when people start to get really offended and get their feelings hurt and be like, you know, th- th- that could be a real source of, you know, divisions over time. Um, and the whole thing about the questioning, again, we need to remember the context that, in the Greek way of teaching and in the in the Jewish way of teaching at this point, a lot of it is a a, a dialogue, a question-answer sort of thing. And if you've been in that sort of environment, you know that a, a question can be just as much a statement of authoritative teaching as a declarative statement. You see what I'm saying? Like, like the way that a question is is given. You know, you you ever hear you're talking to somebody and they're like they ask you a question, it's a question technically. But it's not really a question. It's more of a point, right? I mean, we've all seen that. Um, so, you know, in that sort of situation as well. With that, though, I do think, you know, we're, it'd be healthy for us even. Uh, you know, more questions are good. So, you know, there, there's different ways that we can do that. Um, in our context today, I mean, we have, we have technology. And so, you know, you might not, you know, interrupt or whatever somebody else's thought, but you could send a text message, hey, question, what about this? Or, you know, have, can you help, help us with understand that? Um, and so those things can be, can be useful for us. But um, again, not an easy section. We want to we balance it. It's, it's like one of those deals where if I take the whole of Scripture, I can't be this ultra-conservative person that says, well, women have to, you know, be barefoot and pregnant and you're completely silent at all times and in all situations as someone to interpret this. Okay? So I, I can't do that like, and be fair to the Scripture. I can't go that far conservative. I also can't go as far as you know, the liberal side wants to go either. But what I would contend, again, is this, as I said in that other message, you, know, you could say, well, I, I, want, this liberal, I want this liberal thing. And I, so I'm going to go be part of a liberal church, you know, that has a, you know, a woman who, who teaches. Well, you know, the context there, usually there's one woman who teaches, period. So there's one person. So, you know, really the, the bigger issue is that our whole context of how we do church um, ends up getting dominated by one, you know, one person where... In the church in Corinth, you know, in this day, and hopefully a church you know, like ours in our day, that you're going to have, you know, if you're here for a year, you're going to hear lots of different people preach. Um, and you're going to have, in addition to that, 
this open deal where people can share their hearts and share what the Lord is showing them and can, you know, prophesy and, and do those things. There, there is a difference, like prophecy should have to do with the Word of God, but there's a difference between, between talking about what the Scripture, like how it's influenced your life and, and your heart and sharing your testimony on those lines. There's a difference between that and being, this is what the Scripture says, I'm teaching it in an authoritative manner. Like, this is what you should believe about this. Okay, so that, and I, I think that's a very important distinction to make. There's a difference between those two things. Like right now, I'm trying to teach in an authoritative manner. This is what I believe the scripture actually teaches about this passage. There's a lot of responsibility with that. You know, in James it says, not let many of us be teachers, knowing we shall receive a greater condemnation. So if I'm wrong, I have to answer to God for that. But there's a difference between that and you stand up and reading, you know, some verses and saying, God really pressed on these, you know, on my heart, you know, this week, and they're meaningful to me for this reason. You know, there's a difference between those things. Yes, we're all learning. Yes, there's, you know, a form of teaching that is taking place there, but it's a different thing than an authoritative, this is it. Okay, so we just need to be clear on that. And a lot of that has to do with the attitude of the heart. Attitude of the heart. So again, my encouragement for us today as we take that, don't undermine the women of history, particularly those who followed Jesus and who were part of the church and were all these things. Don't demean them and act like they were ignorant when we see how well they can, you know, how well they served in the church and the valuable roles that, that they played and how, you know, we are largely, you know, we're, we're built on, on the men and the women of, ancient, of the ancient times and the foundation that, the, that, that lay, they laid for us. Don't, in your perspective on these things, don't demean them. And don't demean the women of today and what they're capable of. Okay? So don't do either of those things. And at the same time, keep balance and don't, you know, just fly, you know, too far over into a liberal perspective because of the freedom that we have. We don't use our freedom and our liberty to go further than what the scripture gives us the ability to do. We understand that? And that's the perspective that we, that we had to have to take with it. Again, it's tough. It's not easy. Um, I know it's more problematic for some than for others. Um, and so we're definitely willing to you know, sit down and, and talk about that, anybody that needs to. And if you need clarification or if you have a question about any of these, about any of these things. Um, all things, though, as we even do this now in our public participation, as we take the bread and take the cup, the two questions, does it either or or both, <laughs> and or, I guess say. One, does it help us to remember Jesus? Does it put the focus to him? And or, does it build up the body to follow Jesus? Those are the questions that we ask ourselves as we look into these things. Um, but the bread and the cup are open uh, to take as you are, are ready to. The musicians will come back up. If you do have a song to request, that will spur us on to further worship in Jesus. And again, more than happy to talk to anyone about any questions from this. But I'm hopeful, and the thing I'm most hopeful about with it is that as we try our best to be obedient to the Word and to follow the way the Word has things, we, see, we do see the growth of the church. So much we've seen people growing in their faith because 
they've started to use their gifts and their participation even in, the, in this meeting. And that's, a, and that's a beautiful thing. So as the Lord leads you, please um, participate. And sometimes you sit there and, you know, you go, um, I used to do this a lot when I was younger. Um, I, I'd be like, you know, nervous, kind of knees knocking a little bit. and be like, should I say anything? Should I not? Should I do it? I? You, and, you know, you kind of feel pressed to the Lord, but you got this inner struggle and everything, you know. Hey, if you're feeling that, sometimes um, the, the best thing to do is just stand up um, and say the first two words. It's good from there. Okay, just say the first couple words, and then you'll be all right. So I know some people have a hard time with the public speaking thing, but, hey, you don't have to be eloquent. You just got to share, you know, you love Jesus, and that's what I need to hear. Yeah. I need to hear you love Jesus. That's what encourages my heart. That's what gets me going. Um, so just that, you, that we love Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you. Thank you for your goodness to us, God. Again, tough passages today. We thank you that um, your word doesn't let us off the hook easy, um, that it, it confronts us and uh, challenges us. And so, Lord, um, help us, first of all, just at the core of our hearts to want what you want and to want your ways and, and your truth, Lord. And I pray that for all of us, that we would not... Um, have any agenda above what you want, God. And help us not to be deceived into wanting things that we think that they're what you want, but they're not what you want. Lord, we, we, we understand our human fallenness, our human uh, capacity f- to be deceived. Uh, and so, Lord, we do pray that you would help us as we look into your word to understand things rightly. And, Lord, we need help with it so many times. Um, so, Lord, we, but more than that, I pray, God, that you would help our hearts just to be full of love towards you and toward others, toward one another, God, that, we, that our main purpose would, when we come, would be to remember you and to share and to build up others, um, not just looking for what we're going to get out of, out of it, but looking to give to others, Lord. Lord, help us to be generous people in all ways, in all things, in your name, Jesus. Um, we thank you that you died and that you rose again and that you're going to return, Jesus. We remember you in your precious name. Amen.